Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Amen. Today is going to be a good day. Am I right? All right, four of you think that. Let's try that again. Today is going to be a good day. Yeah. Who's ready to receive the Word of God? So we're launching a a new two-week series called Presence, simply called Presence, um, this week and next week. And we're going to talk about the presence of God, you know, what is it, Um, how do we step into it, how do we both come into his presence and stay in his presence. And uh, let me start by sharing a story. So this this last week for work, I was in Boston, I flew out Monday, um, got up early, 4 a.m., Late dinner that night, so I'm tired Monday night. I have an early meeting the next morning, but I slept in to the last possible moment. I heard this guy talk about sleep once, so I'm trying to do something about that. So I sleep in. I go down from the fifth floor to the second floor to breakfast, and I've got my phone in one hand. I've got my fork, you know, eating my eggs and bacon in the other hand, and I'm furiously typing emails. I'm, you know, a thousand things are going on, just like your Tuesday morning, I'm sure. Typing away one-handed on my phone. Get done with breakfast. I got a few more minutes till I got to, you know, go upstairs, brush my teeth, get back down, and go to my meeting. And as I walk out of the restaurant, this older gentleman is coming the other way. I'm still looking at my phone. I'm walking, looking at my phone, multitasking. This older gentleman passes me, and as he passes me, he says, hey. And I kind of turn around, and I'll be honest, like, I didn't look him in the eyes at first. I turn around, he says, hey, I recognize you. And I kind of laugh. And he goes, this this weekend, you, you were fishing in the vineyard, weren't you? And I'm like, and in, in my mind, I immediately knew, okay, I'm in Boston. I knew he was talking about Martha's Vineyard, which is an island right off the coast of Massachusetts. So I'm like, <laughs> I laugh. I said, no, you, you've, you've got to be mistaken. That wasn't me. And I, at that moment, I look up and I look into his eyes. He had the kindest smile His eyes were the most joyful eyes that I have ever seen in my life. I don't know what other way to describe it to you, but I, you know, clearly he was mistaken and I kept on walking to the elevator. I had things to do. I get on the elevator and as the doors are shutting, I'm thinking, fishing vineyard. Fishing in the vineyard. He recognized me. There was something about those eyes. There's something about that smile, fishing in the vineyard. I'm a disciple. I'm an apostle. I'm a fisher of men. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. I'm in his vineyard. Those who remain in me and I in them produce much fruit. And any branch that doesn't bear fruit, he cuts off. And the branches that do bear fruit, he cuts off so that they produce even more fruit. Here's the thing about the vineyard. Either way, your branches are getting cut off. Fishing in the vineyard. And as I'm riding from the second floor to the fifth floor, I realize that I am, I was 
fishing in the vineyard. And I couldn't stop thinking about his face. I can see it right now. I can see his eyes. It was just a moment, just a glance. And I'm not saying that that was Jesus, but I'm saying he was the face of Jesus to me that morning. And I immediately regretted being distracted. I immediately regretted not stopping and staying longer in that presence, in that moment. But I also was so grateful that I was aware enough to receive the message that God had for me that morning that I recognize you. I notice you on a work trip to Boston that you are fishing in the vineyard. What a funny thing to say, but how powerful it was. What a better way to encounter the the, the presence of God than through someone who looks just like him, someone who was created in his image. You see, the presence of God is all around us. The Bible says the whole earth is filled with his glory. But you see, it's our unawareness to his presence that keeps us from seeing and hearing what he is trying to do in our lives. And I almost missed it that morning. Fishing in the vineyard. I'll never forget it. Why don't you stand up with me? Let's pray before we get started. Why don't you put your hand on your hearts? Say this after me out loud. Father, I'm ready to receive your word. I'm ready for my heart to be disrupted. I'm ready for your presence. All God's people said, amen. All right, you may take your seats. Does anyone remember back in January when we um, launched this vision for this church called Amplify? Anybody remember that? Okay, if you did not hear that series, or even if you did, go back and listen to it. It's the month of January, I think into early February. It's four weeks. Man, I just re-listened to them. I just re-read some of that stuff, and it is powerful because it's not from me. It's not from any one of us. It's straight from the throne. And it's a foundational series for this church. So go back, and sometimes C.S. Lewis said this, we have to be reminded more than we have to be taught, Right? So we need to be reminded of the word of God, the words that God is speaking over us. And Amplify is a powerful word for this church. But in in the series Amplify, we answered these four questions. We asked and answered these four questions. We said, who are we? Where are we going? What is success and why? Does anyone remember the definition of success? The presence of God. Thank you, Phil. Phil was listening. The presence of God and the freedom that his presence brings. That's, that's success for myself personally, for you personally, for your family, for this church, for your business, for this nation, for the world. Success is defined as the presence of God and the freedom that he brings. There is nothing more powerful than that. We should live our lives filtering success by that question, by that answer. The presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus, the presence of the Father in our lives. If we don't have that, we're missing it. I don't care how many people you have in your church. I don't care how successful um, financially you are. I don't care how successful your business is. Whatever you're, I don't care if you're getting grade or, or, or A's, straight A's in school. If you don't have the presence of God, you're missing everything. 
See, his, the greatest gift to him is us. Yes? A reflection of who he is. And his greatest gift to us is himself, his presence. The greatest success we could ever achieve in life is the presence of God. David says this in Psalm 16. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Does anybody want joy in their life? Two of you. Anybody want joy in your life? I like an interactive crowd. There we go. You want fullness of joy? You want ultimate pleasure? You want it forever? I hope you do. The only place that you can find that is in the presence of God at his right hand. Pleasures forevermore. There is nothing this world can offer, nothing your spouse can offer, your kids can offer, your business can offer, nothing anyone can offer you that is greater than the presence of God. Nothing. Nothing else. So how do we get into his presence? And how do we know when we're in his presence? Now let's just have a teaching moment for a a short period of time. Are you okay with that? A quick teaching moment. There's the omnipresence of God, okay, right? We know this, right? The fact that we know that there's nowhere we can go to escape from his presence, that his glory fills the whole earth, that the attribute of God being omnipresent means that he is everywhere all at once. It's hard for our human brains to understand, but we know this theologically up here, that he is here right now with us. He is in India right now with, with the people of India. He is everywhere all at once. And theologically, we understand that God is omnipresent, but the fact is that it's not readily discerned all the time with our senses. It is truth, but the reality may not seem to be relevant to the majority of people on this planet. Even you and I sometimes do not sense his presence. Are you tracking with me? You, you may have felt distant from God, that he is far away, that he is not close. And that feeling sometimes can be our perceived reality when that is not true. He is omnipresent. He is close. He is with us. So the omnipresence of God. So secondly, we have the manifest presence of God. God's manifest presence is when his presence is made manifest. The fact is made very clear to us, convincing to us that he is here. He is with us. The manifest presence of his spirit, it may or may not be visible or oral or be able to sense physically, but his presence is, listen to me, experienced nonetheless. And at times of his choosing, the spirit manifests his presence and the truth that we know in our heads about him becomes an experience that we feel in our hearts. Yes? That's the manifest presence of God. We can never lose God's presence in reality, but we can lose the sense of his presence. See, there's never a time that God was not not with you, will not be with you in this life. And if you know him in the next. But sometimes his presence is not clear or obvious to the human heart. And that's why we're called, Paul says, to live by what? Faith, not by our human eyesight. 
See, the entire point of God's manifest presence is that our, the, our awareness of his presence is awakened because he is here. He is available. And when we are aware of what he's doing, then our awakening to his presence increases in our lives. See, it's not his presence in our lives that's lacking. It's our awareness of his presence that's lacking. Just like my Boston story. See, I almost walked right past what Jesus was trying to speak to me because I was distracted. But my awareness of his presence did kick in in that moment to receive the word he had for me that morning, to receive the experience he had for me that morning. And that has marked me. That experience of his presence that morning is something that I will remember for the rest of my life. And I'm testifying of that to you, to make that known to you, that those encounters can happen in your life. They look different. It's the mystery of God. That's the beauty of him. You know, it's so interesting how God set up this series. We just heard two weeks of truth over feelings or truth versus feelings, right? That we can't necessarily trust our feelings, but we must trust the truth. And who is truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But here's the thing. Our feelings are also so important. But we must train our feelings, our heart, to recognize the truth of Jesus. Because when we do, when our feelings align with the truth, that's when we experience God. That's when we experience the manifest presence of God. So it's not feelings versus truth. It's feelings aligned with truth. And when we experience God, when we experience his presence, there is no greater treasure than you could ever have. There is no greater gift than you could ever receive than the presence of God. That's how God started in the beginning, created us in his image to spend time in his presence. And that's what he still wants from you every single day for eternity. It's you to long and desire and yearn to be in his presence. Do you remember the story of uh, Peter and James and John when Jesus invited the three of them up on to Mount Transfiguration? Remember that story? Okay, I'll recap it for you since two of you remember it. So Jesus invites them up onto this mountain, and, and, and it's Peter, James, and John, Jesus, and all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appear. And Peter is freaking out like his boyhood heroes are right there. They're supposed to be dead or in heaven or somewhere, and they're right there. And he's like, Jesus, whoa, this is crazy. Let's go to Home Depot. Let's build some shelters for like all three of you guys. This is going to be awesome. And then what happened? The manifest presence of God fell. Light so bright that he couldn't even describe it. A voice so loud from heaven speaking over his son saying, this is my beloved son whom I love. And what did they do in that moment? The three disciples, they fell on their faces to the ground. The same thing that you would have done. The holy fear of the Lord, the glory shining down. I mean, I can't, I can't wait to experience that one day. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, after that moment had passed, Matthew 17, 8, says, when they, when Peter, James, and John opened their eyes, they saw only 
Jesus. They weren't distracted by Moses and Elijah anymore. They saw only Jesus. And that is my prayer for my life. That should be your prayer for your life, that we seek first the kingdom, that we seek him first. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. The problem is we're not seeking hard enough. We're not desperate enough. No distractions, only Jesus. They had experienced the tangible, manifest presence of God, and their feelings came into the truth of his presence. It was a moment that marked Peter's life, and I'm sure James and John as well. You know why I know that? Because Peter wrote about it in one, in, in one of his letters. He wrote about it in 2 Peter. He said this, For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice of the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And because of that, what? Experience. We have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. Because we saw him, we heard him, and we experienced him. Our hearts came into alignment with the truth, the manifest presence of Jesus, and we will never be the same. See, that's why I told you about my encounter with my Boston friend. I'm not making up a clever story just to, to preach it this morning. That actually happened. I saw Jesus through that man's eyes and his voice. I heard the Father's voice through his mouth. I had an experience with the presence of God. See, that's why we need to know the word so well. To know the truth so well so that we can adjust our feelings to the truth. So that we can recognize him when he's talking. John Piper says this, God's always doing 10,000 things in your life. The problem is you only recognize three of them. It's our unawareness that's the problem. We need to know the truth so well so that when he invades our normal lives, we can experience who he is. That's the entire goal. It's not just to know truth for truth's sake. The Pharisees, they knew all the truth. They knew it, but they couldn't align their hearts with it. They couldn't bring their feelings to, to align with the truth. They couldn't see Jesus, and he was standing right in front of them. How many times has Jesus spoken to us or been of us, and we completely missed him? I know I have. We need to become more and more aware of him more and more desperate for him. How many of you in this room are fathers and mothers? A lot of you. What do your kids want the most from you? Your presence. It's the same with our Father God. Just over a year ago, I had a very powerful prophetic word spoken over my life that marked me profoundly. And one of the things, just one of the tidbits of things that was spoken over me was this. Chris, your father, your papa, he loves it when you spend time with him. He just can't wait to spend time with you. 
He's just waiting for you not to be distracted and to spend more time with you. He just wants to be with you. That is the heart of the Father. And that is just as true for me as it is for you. He is desperate for you, but he will not force you. He is not a God that forces you. He just wants to spend time in your presence, and he wants that desire to be your desire. He's not going to force it, though. There's moments in my life I could spend the rest of the message telling you moments of experiencing the presence of God. Moments where Jesus spoke directly to me. Moments where my heart became in alignment with the truth. I remember as a family four years ago in Maui, we got up at three in the morning, we went up Mount Haleakala. It was dark, 10,000 some feet above sea level. It was dark and cold. And you could slowly, eventually see the glow of the sun coming over the horizon. And in that moment where the first sunbeam hit your eyes, I can't even describe it to you. It's the presence of God. Why? It's like Paul writes in Romans. The whole earth is screaming out his glory. The whole earth is shouting for him. The whole earth is desperate for him. The sun is revolving around the earth, just shining his brilliance. The trees are crying out. The mountains are just raising their hands. David writes about this in Psalms. And if they're doing that, how much more the people of God that are made in his image should be desperate for his presence. The problem is we're not desperate enough. There was a moment a year and a half ago when January 12th, 5 a.m. in the morning, I, it was either the audible voice of God or it was so loud within my head that I woke up with a start and I heard him say, what was closed is now open. And I just lay there, trembling in holy fear, knowing that that was a word over our city that what was previously closed is now open. It was a moment, just a normal morning in my bed where I was awakened by the manifest presence of God. I will never forget it. There was a moment a year ago when I was setting up chairs on a Sunday morning. The band wasn't even playing yet. Nothing, nothing was playing. It was quiet in here. There's like three people in here. I walked by those speakers, and I heard the Holy Spirit say out of nowhere, Amplify. Amplify. That was a word for us, a word for me, a word for our church. There was a moment a year ago in California in worship where I will never forget it. I'm worshiping, I'm desiring Jesus, and I heard Jesus directly say to me, Step forward in your anointing and authority. And it was so powerful, I had to sit down. And I could go on and on and on about the moments that I've experienced God. There's nothing greater. There's no higher treasure than spending time with the Father. No higher treasure than spending time with Jesus. I'm not talking about a duty. I'm not talking about a religion. I'm not talking about a checklist or the verse of the day. The, the verse of the day is all good, but he wants more than that. Way more than that. I'm talking about being in the presence of God like Mary sitting at his feet. 
and listening. And sometimes that involves taking the scripture and just asking him, what do you have for me today? I'm talking about the Father speaking to you personally. There's nothing else that compares with an encounter with Jesus, nothing else. Back in May, um, we took a vacation to California, and my parents, who still live in Canada, they met us down there. And one night around the, the dinner table, I think it was before dinner, my dad had his Bible with him. And now he was, he was reading in Matthew, and uh, he wanted to share something with it. Now you have to understand something about my dad. When my dad talks about Jesus, he just starts crying. <laughs> Not in a bad way, just overwhelmed with the love of the Father. And if you think that's bad, you should have seen my grandfather. My grandfather, the mention of Jesus, his, his lip would start trembling and quivering, and he, he was just completely overwhelmed with the love of God. So I get it naturally. <laughs> and here's the thing, I used to be ashamed of that. Because I used to not understand it. But now I know that I'm blessed with this gift. See, I believe I've been handed down a heart of David. That I have a heart that can feel and experience the love and the presence of God. Because I know that I know that I know that I experience his presence. And my responsibility is to now communicate the voice of God. The calling of my life is to open my mouth and communicate the truth of what he is saying because of what I'm experiencing, my heart aligned with his truth. So my dad's sitting there at the dinner table and he's trying not to cry and we're like, uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. I can make fun of it when I'm on the other side of the table. And he's like, through his tears, he's like, there's one word that your grandfather taught me that Jesus said that's more powerful than any other word that he ever spoke or ever will speak. It's one word, and it's the entire point of the message today. Jesus is still saying it to you right here, right now. He'll keep saying it to you. And that word is come. Come. Remembered when Jesus was, before he had the disciples, he's walking along the shoreline, and he, he noticed them, just like my friend in Boston recognized me. He noticed them fishing, and he called out to them. What did he say? Come, follow me. In the Lord's Prayer, this is how Jesus taught us to pray to the Father. He says, may your kingdom, what? Come, soon. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. When Peter was in the boat and Jesus was walking on the water, Peter called out to him and said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus said, yes, come. Come. It's an action. It's an invitation. It's a choice. See, God didn't create us as robots, did he? He gives us a choice. That's what real love is. If we didn't have to choose him, it wouldn't be love. If he forced us to come to him, it wouldn't be a relationship. If you were forced to be married to your spouse, it wouldn't be real love. 
Real love is the fact that, that he comes to her and she comes to him. It's a choice. And he's a good father. That's what he created us as, a choice to come or not to come. That's the gospel there in one word. It's simply come. And James 4.8 says this about the father. This is so key. So key about his presence. It says, come close to God. And what? He will come close to you. When you come close to him, to his presence, then he comes close to you. But he's never going to force you. It's always going to be your choice. But here's the thing. He's attracted to your hunger for him. He's desperate for you to be desperate for him. He's attracted to your hunger, and he rewards your hunger for him with more hunger for him. The reward of his presence is more of his presence. I just want this generation to be desperate for Jesus. We're too comfortable. See, the more hungry and the more desperate you are for him, the closer that he will move to you. That's the key right there. But he won't force you. Remember the prodigal son? He takes his father's inheritance early and he goes off. He leaves the father's house. He squanders all of his money. And he ends up eating pig food in a pig pen. And Luke 15 says, when he finally came to his senses... He said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Just take me back as a servant. See, it's that kind of desperation for the father that we need in our lives. It's that kind of desperation to see that we are sitting in the pig pen of filth and we need to continually come back home to the Father. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continual act of coming close to him and he will come close to you. Then watch this. Luke 15, 20. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, what? Coming. His father saw him coming and he recognized him and he ran to his son. Come. It's an invitation. It's an action. And when the father sees you coming, he starts running towards you. You've never gone too far. You've never messed up too much to come back to the father. Come close to God and he will come close to you. This is what God's saying. He's saying, it's your move. I'm just sitting here waiting for you to come. Because I've come to you. I'm right here, right now. I'm just waiting for you to start coming back to me. See, the more time that you spend with somebody, the easier it is to recognize their voice, isn't it? My wife and I have been together for 20 years now, and pretty soon we'll be, have been with each other longer than we'll have been without each other, which is a pretty awesome thing. And I know certain looks that she gives me, 
Some good, some bad. I know she, what she is thinking without even speaking words. We can finish each other's sentences. We've started to look like each other in some ways. Not physically, I'm talking emotionally, how we act. But why? Because 20 years in the same intimate presence with someone changes you. We become what we look at. We become like what we stay in the presence of. See, there's no formula for getting into his presence. Other than coming close to him, he'll come close to you. It's the tension of the mystery. Because if we had a formula, it would just be the law all over again, and he abolished the law. It's the mystery of the spirit. It's, 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 that's what keeps us dependent on him is that mystery. The mystery keeps you desperate for him. Because the desperation is actually the reward. The desperation for his presence is the reward. The reward of his presence is more of his presence. About a month ago, some of you have heard this story, but about a month ago I was traveling in South America for work and it was late at night, dark outside, and my wife and, and Blake were out on our back porch. And um, we had an intruder. An intruder was very close to the house and um, yelled out something. And naturally, you know, it, it scared them. They called the police, and the police were awesome. They responded right away, and they, they couldn't find the person. But it, was, uh, it rattled my wife and my kids, and they couldn't. They actually went to her parents' house for a couple of nights to sleep. And when I got back uh, on Friday... We came back to our house like normal. I went to bed like normal. There was a sense of peace throughout the house. And my wife turned to me and said, wow, it's so different. Like there's only one variable that changed. And that's when the father came back into the house. That's when the father came back into the room. His presence came into the house. And everything changed. See, I'm convinced that my dad and my grandfather were right. The most powerful word that Jesus ever spoke or ever will speak is come. It's because he desires our presence. And we need to desire his presence. It's the gospel in one word. The last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, 17, says this. The spirit... And the bride say what? Come. Let anyone who hears this, that's you, say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. The spirit of, the God, of God says, come. The bride, who's the bride? That's you. The bride says, come. He who is a faithful witness to all these things, that's Jesus, says, yes, I am coming soon. And our response is, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Those words should be on our lips. Come, Lord Jesus, and in our heart. The Spirit and the bride say, come. 
about a month ago, we were doing reno one Saturday at 307 Oak Street. Um, and I think we've got some pictures here. If you came last night, you'll recognize, see the big door that's open there that we all go in, at least for now. It's got the one big door, right? Well, there's actually two doors. If you look a little to the left, there it is. It's all boarded up. That's a second door, just as big as the other one. One's just covered up. I want to show you something from Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet, and, and um, Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, scholars say, are some of the most difficult to interpret in the entire Bible um, because he's getting a vision of the temple of, of the Lord. But the measurements that he gives from chapters 40 to 48 don't match the first temple. They don't match the second temple. So some scholars say that, well, it could be the, the future temple, which could be true. I personally believe this is just my personal take I believe that we, well, I know we are the temples of God. And I believe that Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48 um, have millions of different prophecies for millions of different people as the temples of God. And there's so much treasure and truth hidden in there. And so that Saturday night after we'd gotten done with Reno in September, we had started to see this, uncover the second door from the inside. And I read this passage in Ezekiel that same night. Ezekiel 41, starting at verse 22. There was an altar made of wood five and a quarter feet high and three and a half feet across. Its corners, base, and sides were all made of wood. This, the man told me, is the table that stands in the Lord's presence. Now catch this. Both the sanctuary and the most holy place had double doorways, each with two swinging doors. There are two doors at Oak Street. There are two doors, in fact, even more, that need to be opened up in your heart. But it takes some peeling back. See, we had on that second door, I think we have a picture of it, we had to peel back like feet of insulation. All kinds of wood and stuff. We had to peel that back to even get to that second door. And see, there's some doors in your heart that are all covered up. There's some doors in your heart that need some renovation. And you and I need to peel back that insulation and break down that wood to reveal the door. Because the sanctuary in the most holy place had double doorways, each with two swinging doors. Do you know why I think they're swinging doors? Because the Spirit comes one way, you come the other way. He comes, you come. Come is so powerful because it's, it's both ways. It's an invitation. He's already come to you. Now it's your job to repeatedly come back to him, into his presence. The Spirit says come, and you, the bride, say come. And that should be the cry of our heart, to continually say, God, break down those walls. Create another door. There's another door. That's what I came here to tell you this morning. There's another door in your heart that needs to be found and broken into. Because he wants more than just the access point of salvation. 
He wants more than that. Less walls, more doors. We broke down so many walls at 307 Oak Street. And those of you who were there last night, do you see how open it is now? Do you see how much space there is now compared to what it used to be? That's what he's saying. That's what he wants in your heart. That's what he wants in you, in, in the temple, in you, the temple, to create space for him. And there's rooms that you're blocking out, that I'm blocking out, that he wants to create a doorway into. Salvation is a great start, but he's inviting you for more. He keeps saying, come to me. Come to me. Why don't you just close your eyes right now where you're at. I want you to picture the house that you live in right now. And picture that that house is your heart. It represents your heart. And if you've never turned to Jesus this morning, he's the one that's standing at the doorstep of your heart and he's just knocking. And all you have to do is open that door. You can do that in this very moment and say, Jesus, come on in. I turn to you. I see that you've come to me. You're standing there. You won't force your way in, but you've come to me. Now I say, come into my life. Come and be the source of my life. You can say that to him right here, right now. Everything will change. It's a simple prayer. There's no magical, special words. You just say, Jesus, I want you to come in. You come in. You have access to me. And you now call me a son and a daughter. And he'll step right in the doorway. But here's the thing. See, God desires multiple doorways to be opened in your heart. And many Christians especially in this country, in North America, have just opened the door of salvation and they stop right there. And they've left Jesus standing in the doorway of their house. But see, he wants you to access. He wants access to the whole house. He wants access to the whole heart. Let me ask you this. Where is Jesus in your house? Did you leave him in the entryway? Maybe he's in the living room or the, or the kitchen. That's great. But where's the place that he needs to go? Where's the walls that need to come down? Where's the room that's been all boarded up and blocked up? The place that you haven't let him into? Because he's just standing outside of that room and he's, he's saying, come. But what are you, the bride, saying? What are you saying to him? He wants more intimacy. He wants you to come close to him. And that can only happen when he's got access to the whole house, access to the whole heart. There's some walls that you need to knock down this morning. You know what they are. He's not going to force you. 
But when you say come, that's when he'll come. That's when he'll bring the wrecking ball of his spirit. And it might be painful, but he'll knock those doors down and he'll invade that space. It's time to clear some space this morning. What's in that room? What have you been holding back that requires demolition? What's that other doorway? Come, Lord Jesus. It's your move. He's not going to force his way in there. It's your move. It's time to get desperate for the Spirit of God. It's the only way that we see his presence manifest in our lives. Desperate for the Spirit of God. Hungry for the voice of God. Whatever that room is that you need to knock down, let him knock down. Just take a moment. He's knocking on that door. You know what it is. You need to deal with it in this moment. Come. It's an invitation. He's calling out to you, come to me. Come close to me. I think some of you in this place need to take a physical step forward. Maybe it's coming forward to fall on your knees this morning and deal with whatever room you need to deal with. Some of you are dealing with bitterness and things of the past, and Jesus says, leave it with me at the cross. But some people here this morning need to take a step in the physical towards, there's nothing special about this altar, nothing special about these mats, but it reveals your heart condition. It humbles your heart. To kneel physically, it, it, you kneel with your heart. Hmm. Spirit of God is here. If my people who are called by my name, that's you, will humble themselves, will humble themselves, then I will heal their land. Oh, Jesus, we need humbling. Father, we come close to you this morning. We want to be the generation with the desperation that David writes about. We want to seek you first. If you've promised us, if we seek you, we will find you. We don't want to just play church. 
We want to be desperate for the Spirit of God to move in our hearts. If your pride is holding you back, that's just Satan lying to you. Deal with whatever you need to deal with right now in this situation. The Spirit of God is knocking down walls, and then he's blowing his fresh wind into your house, into your heart. He's healing you right now in Jesus' name. He's healing past wounds that you keep bringing up, self-pity that you keep sitting in. He's healing that. He's saying, step forward. I'm done with that. Leave that at the cross. I've got it. I paid for it. Don't give it back to me. I paid a high price for that. Don't give it back to me. Leave it at the cross right here, right now, and then step forward into freedom. Step forward into freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Jesus, blow in this place right now. Come in this place. We invite you in. Come, Lord Jesus. We are desperate for you. We want to experience you, Jesus. Would your Holy Spirit just fall in this place right now? I feel like there's some hearts that are hurting here this morning that... The Spirit's inviting you, come, come to me, and I'll give you rest. Lay your burden down. If you're yoked with me, I'll take the load. Because what I have for you is easy and it is light. Lay it down. Stop holding on to it. Lay it down. Come. You take one tiny step towards the Father and he'll start running towards you. Running towards you. Jesus, we need you. We need you. We're desperate for you. We say no to the distractions. We say yes to you. want to experience you like Peter did on that mountain. And when we look up, we see only you. We see only your face. Don't you just look in the eyes of Jesus this morning. He's so kind. 
He loves you so much. He's come to you. Will you come to him? It's an invitation every day that he's asking you to come. Knock down walls. Clear the space, God. Clear the stuff and the junk and the stuff that distracts us from seeing only you. Clear it away. We push it aside in Jesus' name right now. We seek you first. You first. You first. Nothing else but you, God. That's the only thing that matters. We go after your presence. And you've promised that where your spirit is, there is freedom. There is freedom here today. So we can step forward, leave everything else at the cross, and step forward into freedom. Clear the whole house, God. Clear our whole heart. We want hearts like David that just don't care what anybody else thinks, that can dance and celebrate and sing with freedom in your presence. In your presence is the fullness of joy. God, release joy on this house tonight. Release the fullness of joy over these people today. Pleasure forevermore. There is no greater pleasure than being in your presence, God. Being in you at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, maybe we say no to every other pleasure that this world has to offer and say yes to the pleasure of your presence. May that be the only thing that we go after. The only measurement of success in our lives is you, only you. Nothing else.